Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 200. I thought for a while about what I was going to do for 200. I need a really cool and exciting guest. I need something that's super meaningful. But I think I'm going to kind of take it back to what I was doing in the beginning. When I started this, I was just doing solo episodes People didn't know who I was. I didn't really have any credibility if I was reaching out to people to have them on the podcast. But now we're 200 deep. And there still are plenty of solo stories that I haven't shared yet. So this will be one of them. Thanks to Jeremy from Madison. Uh, Jeremy and I were talking and he was saying that he really likes the solo episodes from trips through Southeast Asia. So I've never really talked about Brunei. I've actually recorded this episode maybe like four or five times. It's hard to know like how I want my time there to be remembered and represented because it's a bit complicated. But let's take it back a little bit if possibly you're tuning in for the first time here. In July of 2018, I got rid of pretty much everything that I owned. Whatever I had left over either went to to Big Dog's basement or went into the backpack that I had on my back. And I went to Southeast Asia. I didn't really have an itinerary. I knew I was going to start out in the Philippines. And for the first month or so, I'd be hanging out with my friend Kevin as we made our way through that country. Now, pretty early on, My body was just not feeling well. I had wiped out while surfing and hit into a coral reef. I was really dinged up from that. And then if you'll recall, I got monstrously sick. Among my friends, I'm pretty notorious for getting sick everywhere. It's just my internal constitution. It's just not strong. But when I was in Cebu, a combination of late night Jollibee and Balut, or something, I don't know. Something got me really sick. It was like a solid month, month and a half that I was really sick. And I think for pretty much most of like my six months plus away, I wasn't quite normal. But I say all that to say like I was dinged up. And then I was in Lombok and this series of earthquakes happened. And so I was like, I need a little r and I'm going to go to, to Changu, which is what, like 45 minutes from Lombok by flight uh, to, to an area of Bali. And it's really, it's really just chill. It's got like a lot of like westernized stuff. Uh, it was just a way to, to reset. Not normally what I would want to be doing, not super adventurous, but there's two cool music venues there. It's great places to eat, and a lot of people on holiday just kind of hanging out, a lot of younger people. There's areas of Bali along the like southwest, like Kuta and all that, which are known to be pretty sleazy. Um, it, there's a lot of plastic there, a lot of tourists kind of behaving badly. Not my scene at all. Chengu is, is, is a bit chiller. 
And so it was a place where I could reset and feel okay. And I knew from there I wanted to go to Kuching in Malaysia. I wanted to go there to follow in the steps of Bourdain, and I wanted to get a Sarawak tattoo, and I wanted to walk the river at night. And so I was looking at my options for where do, where do I go to, to stop off before Kuching or where can I go after? If you're in Denpasar in Bali, like they pretty much go everywhere. But I was looking at my options and I saw Brunei. I really didn't know a whole lot about Brunei. If it's in the collective conscious at all of Americans, it's, it's come up on like the Joe Rogan experience where he was kind of like looking at the lavishness of what the Sultan has. I think there was like a gold car or something like that. And I'm sure he's making jokes about it. But also it's come up in the news because there have been like American celebrities that were hanging out with the royal family there. And then there's also a lot of criticism for the policies in Brunei. It is a country that has Sharia law on the books and things like same-sex relationships are outlawed. And on the books, there's really harsh and terrible punishments for it. And so I'll say at the outset, sort of as a disclaimer, these are just my experiences in Brunei. I know that there are some Bruneians who will defend the policies and say, well, those punishments don't actually happen. It's just they're on the books. And then there are people, I know that there's a guy in Canada who's like, in a sense, defected, and he's quite vocal about his criticisms. And I too, if I'm taking a stance here, that is not an okay policy, wherever you are. It's my belief that whoever you are doesn't matter. And who you love or choose to love or don't choose to love but just fall in love with shouldn't matter at all. And so again, these are my experiences there. So the first thing was the flight out of Denpasar. It was nighttime. I was pretty much the only person getting on the Royal, I think it's called Royal Brunei or Royal Air Brunei flight. And it was, was one of those situations I've been in often in airports all over the world, but also in Southeast Asia, where like the gates change, but they don't really tell you. And you're looking around and you're starting to sweat and you're like, where, where is everybody? Did I miss something? Did they not say it in English? Am I going to not get on this flight? And so there was a gate change and eventually I figured it out for a couple more people waiting in the waiting room. Not, not many in the waiting area. But when I got on the flight, the first thing is I was like, wow, this is pretty nice. Unlike AirAsia where your torso is in seat A3 and your knees are in seat <laughs> F5. There was lots of room. I believe we got a meal. There were movies. I was like, nah, this is pretty nice. Pretty cozy. Now, unlike a lot of Southeast Asia and the backpacker trail and sort of like backpacker culture, there were not a lot of cheap lodgings in Brunei. I really didn't see 
hostels at the time I was there. I found out later that there are some people that do Airbnb. I didn't know at the time. And so lodging, like the, the cheapest hotels, I believe, were like 50 a night. Which again, if you've backpacked, that's an extraordinary amount of money. If you just have been to hotels here in the States, that probably, you're like, wow, that's cheap. But that's expensive for when you're traveling. So I was like, okay, I don't have an income. I do have a fixed budget. I can do this for like six days-ish. So I believe that's how long I went for. And so I landed and I got a car to the hotel and some things stuck out to me immediately. The first is it looks a lot like Florida. There are palm trees. There's lots of highways that look like they could be a highway in Florida. And it was very different from the scenery in a lot of Southeast Asian cities that I've been in. Most notably, the lack of motorbikes. I remember the first time that I was in Hanoi and crossing the street is like being in a, a real world simulation of, of the game Frogger. It's a guessing game. You're literally trying to not get run over. Like after work hours, rush hour, people are just riding up on the sidewalks. You're, <laughs> you're forming a human chain with your friends. It's crazy. Not a lot of cars in a lot of cities, like Ho Chi Minh City. There's a lot of cars in Jakarta, I guess, but still tons and tons and tons of motorbikes. But here in Brunei, everyone's got a car. Now, Brunei is a tiny, tiny country. I believe you can drive across it in like between two and three hours. It's on the, the Borneo landmass. Now, Borneo is part Malaysia, part Indonesia, and then all of Brunei. It's really small and it's coastal. And its wealth has come from oil. I believe their, their contracts are through Shell. And eventually there are projections that that oil is going to dry up within like the next 20 years. And then I don't know what's going to happen in Brunei. But I believe that that's one of the reasons why so many people have cars is that gas is cheap there and cars are cheap. So I get to my hotel, it's Friday, and I'm like, all right, I gotta go, I gotta go walk around. Now, the country itself is, it's kind of like one major city, and then the rest is, which is also a pretty spread out city. It's not like this major looming metropolis like New York or something like that. And then the rest of the country is pretty spread out too in some rural parts. There's national, national park. Remember, this is Borneo, it's rainforest. This is sort of carved out of that. And so from my hotel, there's a bridge over the river that runs through Brunei. I think it's called the Brunei River actually. And that'll take you to what I guess you could call the downtown area. There's this little echo park that's really nice that I was running at. And then a mosque, a really gorgeous mosque. And to get there, you have to cross over this river. So first I start walking and I don't really know where I'm going. And I meet this Australian guy and his Thai wife or his Thai girlfriend. 
I was just chatting. I'm like, where do we go? What's going on? And he's like, well, it's noon right now, man. Everything's closed. I was like, ah, right. Because at noon on Friday, you go and you pray to the mosque, at the mosque, and all the businesses shut down. So really anyone who's out and about is somebody who isn't Muslim. Which it might seem like in a country with Sharia law that that's few and far between, and I guess it is. But I did meet a lot of people, well, I did meet some people who weren't Muslim. And so I'm crossing over the bridge and there's a guy in the river on a boat and he's calling up to me. He's like, hey, hey, come down here, come down here. And no, I'm familiar with all the the regular sort of like haggling and, and tricks and things like that when you're on the road, especially if somebody thinks that you're unacquainted with the area or if you're potentially going to buy something. And I'm like, all right, he wants to like give me a ride on the river and probably I would have to pay for that. And so I'm like, no, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm just getting acquainted, just whatever. He's like, no, come down, come down, come down. So I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. Let's see what he has to say. So I go down off of the bridge down to the river and it's a guy with a boat. He said, hi, I'm so-and-so. I said, hi, I'm Tim. He's like, where are you from? I'm from New York. How long have you been here? I've been here five minutes. He's like, well, would you want to take a ride on the river? So I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, what do I owe you? Like, how much is this going to cost? So he's like, nothing. And he said, you must be hungry, right? Like everything's closed for the next hour or two. Why don't you come to my house and we'll feed you? And so I'm from New York, man. Like part of me, like I also... I know the generosity of people on the road. So I'm sort of balancing the like kind of cautious New York thing, not really trusting people with the, come on, just take the plunge, just go for it type of attitude that I have on the road. And so he takes me down the river on this boat. And there are a lot of houses that are up on, um, almost like stilts on posts in the water. You've likely seen this before. And they're sort of long and skinny and really big inside. And I was told, or really came to understand, that these are sort of the older style houses and the government created government housing and was hoping and, and trying to get most of the folks off of the water. And I think they were met with resistance for people who, who wanted to keep living on the water. And I did go to one of the like government style houses. It's very utopian dystopian. It's, uh, you know communities that look very similar. It reminded me of that X-Files episode where Mulder and Scully are in this uh, planned community and everything had to be just right. And if the light went out, like this like monster that lived under the ground would come and, come and get you for not having everything perfect. But these homes on the water were, were really cool. And so we get to his house and we dock and like two seconds in, I just, I put my hand up on the dock and I get this gnarly um, splinter, like in the center of my hand. And so this young man takes me inside and he's like helping me pull this splinter out. And he's just, he's just telling me about life. And I meet his wife and it looked like maybe they had a, a stand on the water where they were selling stuff. And she was like, do you want some, do you want some rice and chicken? There's a really 
popular and sort of traditional meal in Brunei called nasi katok, which translates to knock rice. And it's basically because it was sold door to door. And so the knock sound of knocking on someone's door became part of the name. It's fried chicken and rice. Delicious. With different sambals too. And so I was like, okay, sure. Like, uh, I can pay you. And they're like, no, no. Like, come eat. So I'm in, these, in this total stranger's house with my first hour or two in Brunei, sharing stories about travel and having this incredible meal. And so they're asking me about where I've been and <laughs> about food, and I'm telling them all my favorite Indonesian dishes. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of crossover here. This is a landmass where three cultures are blending. It's, there's a lot of similarities. And they're like, okay, on your last night here, you're going to come back and we're going to cook you all this stuff. So I'm like, no, no, I, I can't. There's no way I can do that. And they're like, no, we want you to come back. So I'm like, why? Like, why? And so they show me this photo book they have of a trip to Australia where they had stayed with a host family and they did everything. They saw snow for the first time. They went snowboarding and skiing and ate all this food and they had all these wonderful pictures and they're like, you know, this family was really kind to us. And this is our version of, of paying it forward, of putting that karma and that energy back out into the universe. So I'm like, this is, this is wild. This is incredible. Yes, thank you. I now have these friends for life. So I don't remember at what point I left, but eventually, I think the sun was starting to set, and this young man took me back over to the bridge on his boat, and we said our goodbyes. Now, due to the very strict laws in Brunei, there aren't a lot of things that you would want to see when you're traveling places. When I say that, I mean there's no live music, there's no bars, there's no alcohol. There are a lot of things that can't happen. There's no karaoke. And so you kind of have to find a way into what's going on there. And for me, that was meeting people. I'm very fortunate to have this podcast and I had two incredible guests who both became my friends that I still stay in touch with today. And that's Brian and Fika. And so it got to the point even where, you know, I had met Brian, I met his friends, we did the podcast. I saw his barbershop. We're driving around in his car. But it got to the point where he'd be like, hey, what are you up to right now? Like, let's go get some food. He took me to, t to get some of the most incredible laksa I've ever had in my life. Brian also took me over the border to Malaysia. Again, Brunei is tiny. And so you can kind of come and go fairly easily. And of course, as soon as you get into Malaysia, there's like food restaurants and bars and things like that. Some of the things that you can't get while you're in Brunei. But that was a cool experience kind of going through their version of what felt much more like going from the United States to Canada than like going through a real official customs type of a situation. And so again, I want to be clear that any opinions I have here 
They're also not tied to to the guests I met, to Brian or to FICA. These are mine and my experiences. Now, there were a lot of interesting things. There is a museum that is dedicated to gifts that the Sultan has received. It is a wild museum. When you go in, you take off your shoes, and I'm pretty sure they took my phone. Not took it, but I think you have to lock it up in a locker. I seem to remember that, and also I don't have any pictures from this place, so that must be what that means. But it's really fascinating seeing even gifts from the United States and, and Canada and all over the place. Like fine china, daggers, plaques, pictures. It's really, really wild. There are vehicles and cars and things like that too that the Sultan and the family has that are incredibly extravagant, like I mentioned at the outset. It is, you know, it is a, a, a king. But the, the museum felt like a throwback to like, I don't know, almost like these 1700s like adventure stories you would read about, or maybe even earlier than that, Age of Exploration, like people going around the world and bringing back these artifacts and things like that. that. That's what it reminded me of. It's a really crazy place. And I went there all by myself on a particularly hot day when I was just kind of wandering around and getting food and things like that. There aren't a ton of night markets, but there is one really large night market called the Gadong Night Market. And when I went there, there's, you know, shrimp jumping out of the bins. There's all sorts of fried stuff. There was fried dough with like this durian kind of icing. Orange durians, which I had never seen. Various shades of yellow durians. All sorts of smells and sounds and everybody buying fresh stuff that they need. And on the loudspeaker overhead... They're blasting Migos. <laughs> really interesting place. But it was there that I got like skewers of meat and of course some fried treats. A lot of similarities to Indonesian and Malaysian cuisine. I saw a movie in Brunei. What was it? That um, The Meg, that shark movie. Not a good movie, <laughs> but a really cool experience. And interesting to see how certain parts of it, some of the language was censored out. But I love seeing films in other countries and I love seeing people's reactions and I love trying to follow along with the subtitles. It's a really cool experience. I had tea with cheese in it for the first time in Brunei, which I don't think is a Bruneian thing. I think actually there are like Korean chains that have this. But tea with cheese. <laughs> Interesting. There's a food called ambuyat, 
which comes from the palm, I believe. And the consistency is is thick and goopy. It kind of bounces back. It's kind of like flubber. <laughs> and you kind of twirl it with your chopsticks and pull and dump, dunk it into some sambal type of sauce. It's all over the place there. It's very abundant. It doesn't have a ton of flavor, but I think to me it was the most unique culinary experience that I had in Brunei. I've never seen that anywhere else. Actually, if there's anything similar, maybe maybe something in like West Africa. But FICA took me there. Actually, all of the food ventures are pretty much with FICA. So go back and listen to those two episodes I had with Brian and with FICA back in Brunei. As anywhere, I did a lot of wandering. It's not as easy because highways do connect a lot of the country. And there isn't a strong transportation system yet. There was a rideshare company, I think called Dart. But like trains, a real strong working bus system, that kind of stuff didn't exist. I still, I'm not sure if it exists. And so I am fearful for when the oil dries up, how the country is going to make money. That could be a real tricky situation. And so it's something also to be aware of when you're traveling there that you should try your best to meet someone with a car. But if you're a traveler, which you probably are if you're listening to this, you know that people are interesting everywhere and people are interested in you wherever you go. I would understand the trepidation with going there, especially if you are somebody who's fearful that your identity is something that would be persecuted by their laws. I get that. But to me, Bruneians, everyday people, are the same as everyday people everywhere I've gone. And I wouldn't want to judge or hold the common person accountable for decisions of the government in the same way that somebody looking at America right now, I wouldn't want them to see this ridiculous insurrection that happened this past week and think that that's all Americans. And so I would say, if you're going to Brunei, talk to people. If you're going anywhere, talk to people. On that final night that I was there, I went back to back to the river. We were communicating through like Facebook Messenger or something like that. I didn't have a, a SIM card for Brunei. I don't know why. I should have had one. But on my last night there, I went back down to the river. And I met my new friend. And this time it was night. I hopped on his speedboat and we went back, back to his house. And when I got there, like all the kids were there and the extended family were there. 
and they loved video games and they loved watching people play video games. I don't know. I think they have YouTube. No, they definitely have YouTube. But there were some things I think like Netflix and films and things like that that were not available. But of course, like anywhere, people figure out a way to get them. But these kids were particularly interested in video games. So I was chatting about that as best as I could. I don't know a lot about it. But there was this incredible spread of food. There was ambuyat. There was nasi, there was rice, there was various types of fish. There was my favorite tempeh, the tempeh orak, which is probably maybe simple, but I find to be so incredible. It's got chilies and soy. It's like everything I had mentioned they had there. And I said, like, come on, you have to let me at least contribute or pay. And they're like, nope, absolutely not. And so we talked about life and someone at the table had worked for the Sultan's family. I got to hear some of those experiences. And all the kids just sort of watched and waited as I ate. And I felt terrible about that. that like, let's let the kids eat. And they're like, nope, we eat first. So I was like very conscious to, to not overeat so that there's plenty of food left for the kids. But they were just so so kind to a complete stranger. And I was fortunate enough to, to be that stranger. And so we had a great time. And at the end of the night, I went back to my hotel and I was leaving in the morning. And I was just writing a bit and reflecting about how it seemed like a pretty simple place because there isn't all this stuff going on, but it was actually a very complicated place. Everyone I met had great reverence for the Sultan and for the royal family. One of the princes actually in 2022 passed away and I know that Brian was close with him and I think he cut his hair and they were friends and that was likely really hard for him. And a lot of people do see the Sultan as somebody who's looking out for the common person. There are stories about how like somebody fell off of a, I think a motorbike actually, in front of his motorcade and he ran out of the car and helped the person up. And there are a lot of stories like that. But then there's also a lot of stories in the media about how the royal family is having these parties and of course, you're not supposed to drink there. And there's rumors about there being alcohol at the parties and maybe the, the laws and the rules that are so strict and harsh not applying to the royal family. That's a common story throughout the world. And of course, in... A democracy, you would look at a lot of the elements of Sharia law and say that 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 goes against what I would think are universal human rights. 
Now, unlike a place like uh, Aceh in Indonesia, like I, I didn't see anything bad happening to anyone, which of course, like again, six days, that doesn't mean anything. But I saw people moving about freely. I talked to somebody who identified as, as trans. And on the surface, things felt, things felt normal. But then I also heard stories about people who were critical of the country or who wrote papers or things like that that were pretty much told, like, you're going to have to go. I don't know what the or else is there, but. So it's a really interesting and complicated place and a different place. My travels through, through Southeast Asia, you find similarities in a lot of places. And then some places are just starkly different. Brunei was one. Singapore is another. Singapore is... It's a city. It's like a city state. And it's, it feels very futuristic. Maybe we'll do a separate episode about that. But I look back at my time in Brunei quite fondly and I have uh, a great appreciation for the friendships that I created there. So where does that leave us, Voyagers? This is 200, episode 200. I'm so grateful for all of you who've been tuning into this journey. I've been, I've been, I've sat in rooms with incredibly interesting people in incredibly interesting places and settings. This started in my living room in, at the time, in Bay Ridge in South Brooklyn. But I've sat roadside in California in a, in a punk club in Bali, in a dingy hotel in Kuching. I've shared stories from, from Kenya, from Egypt, Morocco, Thailand. It's been a really, really wild, exciting, and fun journey. So, of course, thank you to everybody who's been tuning in. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. Thank you to anybody who's written to me, sent me an email, sent me a DM. Here's to 200 more. Now, hopefully, likely towards the end of this year, things will start to normalize again. I think I'm coming up on the list for vaccinations. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. But at some point, when things start to go back to normal, I would encourage you to also trust in people, to also not have an itinerary, to also take the plunge. If there's ever been a message in this podcast, that's it. Take the plunge and appreciate people. Because everyone I've met, whether I was sitting down in a park in Vietnam, 
in the desert in California or in a house on the water in Brunei, everyone I met was just a person. A person with hopes and dreams and wishes for the future. So thank you, Voyagers, one final time. This podcast is a blast to do, and I hope to keep doing it for a very long time. As always, Voyagers, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon.